Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Mage Wars Mondays. I am one of your hosts, Rick, from Let's Level Up, and unfortunately, Scott Morris could not make it with us today, uh, so we are wishing you well, Scott, and you are severely missed on this episode, but my partner, uh, back again, is here. So say hello, Aaron. This is uh, Aaron Brosman. I am the community manager slash designer at Arcane Wonders. Yes, my title changed. Uh, there will be an explanation some other place soon. <laughs> cool. That's that's news to me. I won't yeah, pry too exciting. much, but we, uh, it sounds awesome. Well, we did. We got a new employee, and he should be introducing himself himself to everyone very soon. So I don't want to steal his thunder. Cool. But suffice to say, my title changed. Um, but I'm super excited. As are, you know, Scott and uh, John and Brian. We're all really excited to have him on. So. That's great. That's great, man. Um, we're actually really excited about this episode. We're joined uh, by the Gen Con champion, and uh, that was it's a, it's a very prestigious title. I got to see him play, but unfortunately, I didn't get to actually talk to him because everything was just so chaotic going on, and he was always in a match when I was around. So, uh, Mr. Alexander West is joining us on the podcast. So, hello, Alexander. Thank you for joining us, buddy. Howdy. Thank you for having me here. Now, do you prefer Alexander or Alex or? Alex is fine. Alex is fine. Okay, great. I was waiting for him to say, uh, "You can call me Lord God of Mage Wars." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is. You are the champion. Do you have a title belt? Uh, I have a like foot and a half tall trophy that's sitting on the piano in my living room, <laughs> and uh, pretty much when I came back from Gen Con, every single friend that came over was like, "Wow, that looks incredible," and I was like, "Yeah, it feels pretty good." <laughs> Oh, okay, so you're doing the exact oh, opposite. You don't have one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would be much less humble in my victory and just lorded over all of my friends if I had that thing. <laughs> oh, man, so uh, you had an actual, a really interesting book. We uh, we loved your preview that you did for the Arcane Wonder site um, and kind of your... Um, your idea behind the Straywood avi Aviary. So um, before we get into that book exactly, we wanted to talk a little bit about Alex as a gamer. And, and really, we know you're into Mage Wars, but what, what are some of the games that you played leading up to Mage Wars? You know, what are some of the games that got you into gaming and kind of progressed through the years? Sure. So I was pretty much uh, doomed to be a gamer from the start. Uh, both of my parents are gamers. And uh, my mother was a developmental psychologist, and she she decided she wanted her kids to be gamers, and so she she bought us a new game every year for our birthdays that were kind of like designed to stimulate whatever uh, developmental stage we were at. So uh, at this point in life, I have like a closet full of games. Uh, but you know, like uh, I think the first game I really got into was at like eight. I had a cousin who taught me to play Dungeons and Dragons, and I played. Dungeons and Dragons all through, you know, high school. Uh, my brother uh, taught me how to play Warhammer 40k, and there's kind of a, a miniatures phase. In uh, high school, I was on the uh, the chess team, which is probably you know the first uh, really significant uh, commitment to gaming that I made, and uh, and uh, the, the the most significant of them all though is uh, Magic the Gathering, which. Uh, first came out while I was in high school. I think I ended up getting an F in uh, gym that year because I kept ditching gym to play Magic. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you made the right decision. 
Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I played, and it was the sort of thing where uh, I really enjoyed playing against the local kids and kind of beat everyone, got bored of the game. And then about seven years ago, I ran into a friend who told me that there's a, a Magic Pro Tour. And uh, I, I was like, oh, tell me more. And, you know, he explained that, you know, there are all these tournaments where you could win plane flights around the world. So uh, I started playing Magic. Uh, competitively, and the third tournament I went to, I qualified for the Pro Tour, and uh, I spent about four years playing Magic professionally before I decided that uh, it was time to, to settle down and uh, study science instead. Yeah, um, so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so man. Growing... I spent a lot of time gaming. Yeah, growing up is such a drag. It sounds so much better just to be a professional Magic player. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 in Magic did you uh, did you like to play? Were there any archetypes in Magic that that you liked more than others? Yeah. Uh, so my favorite types of decks were ones that just closed out the game very quickly before your opponent got to develop their game. Mm -hmm. So uh, my favorite deck was a deck called Zoo which uh, plays a bunch of very inexpensive, very powerful creatures. And you use these spells plus, uh, like, burn spells, like lightning bolts, to, uh, you know, just turn your to opponent's life total to zero before, uh, you know, turn four, turn five. Uh, and then, you know, occasionally I like playing the really degenerate combo decks where, you know, like Storm, where, you know, you, you just drew cards for a couple of turns and then, You'd, you know, play like 10 cards and your opponent would be dead. Yeah, Storm was insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't miss that in Standard right now, that's for sure. Yeah, it doesn't make for a very interactive or fun game, but, you know, when you're trying to win, it's, uh, it's a nice way to go. Yeah, for sure. Aaron, you played you played some competitive Magic too, right? I was always bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's weird. I, I, always, I always wanted to play competitive Magic, and I was always... That, like, there's one in every group. I was that kid who the night before would decide he's going to go and would scrounge the deck together and then realize halfway through Saturday that he didn't bring money to have lunch. So he'd <laughs> sit there patiently and kind of wait for everyone to scrub out so he could go home. Um, I, I, love, I love competitive cards. Um, it's actually something I've been really missing in my life. <laughs> Um, since I, like, before I worked at Arcane Wonders, I worked at a, a game store, and the minute you start working in gaming, you find that your time for gaming is not what you thought it was. So, sure, yeah, I can understand uh, that but, for sure. Um, I had a lot more success, uh, playing Versus, actually, um, because I love comic book characters, and so when that game came out, I was like, oh, sweet, this is going to be, like, Overpower, but it's not going to get canceled. <laughs> so, um, I was half right it eventually got cancelled but it lasted far longer uh, and that game was incredibly good um, and that's the game that I, I qualified for their pro tour on um, but yeah I, I wasn't I, I wouldn't say I was a successful pro player I was the bare minimum you can be to be considered a pro player <laughs> um, and then I played I played WoW a bunch, and I, I did top eight a couple times there, um, but those were like small. Those were the regional tournaments, nothing, nothing huge. But I, I do love, I love, competitive cards. Uh, last weekend, I actually went with a bunch of friends to Michigan to play in a uh, UFS tournament. Oh, nice. So 
so yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for card games. <laughs> yeah, I know. and a sucker for meetings games, and board games aren't too far behind that. <laughs> so, You're just a sucker for games. Uh, yeah, no, that has been said. <laughs> well, Alex, I mean, oh, go ahead. Yeah, Mike. I feel like any constructible game just has this irresistible lure where you get to sit around with a notebook and try and figure out exactly what you want to put into your, you know, your spell book or your deck. And so, even when you don't have a chance to sit down and play with people. You still get to kind of have fun with it in your own mind wherever you are. Absolutely, oh, that's, that's oh, definitely. Great. Yeah, the the amount of time I've spent uh, fiddling with Mage War spellbooks or uh, looking at a, a a Netrunner deck or something like that, and just fiddling with the cards and trying to see what I can build. I, it's yeah, that's the big draw of of customizable card games or customizable games in general. Anytime you can sit there and you can kind of put your own handprint just right on it and go, no, this I made this. Yes, it looks like someone else, but this is this is mine. You know, this is my personal version. So, and that's that's so much fun. It is, it definitely is. Uh, so, Alex, what what was it that brought you to Mage Wars to begin with? Uh, so, my wife and I were at Gen Con in 2012 and walking around one of the evenings, and we. We saw these people sitting around, you know, this like four by three arena with these spell books going through them. And, you know, there were like wolves and fiery walls on the on the table. And, you know, we, we both stopped to look because we, we both are into games. And I was just like, wow. You know, like I asked them what was going on and they explained that, you know, it was like a little bit like magic and a little bit like a miniatures game. And, you know, you got to like cast two spells a turn. And uh, I was just you know, kind of instantly in love. Like, I... The idea of uh, a wizard's duel where you're pitting your wit against someone else's, I think, is something that's always drawn me in ever since, like, watching, like, the wizard's duel and, like, the sword and the stone where mm -hmm. the wizards turn into, like, different creatures and battle each other. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, like, I've I played a ton of Magic, I've played a ton of other games, and uh, to me there's something just kind of more... Uh, pure about the process of like picking out the two spells from a, a huge spell book and um, I also really like the spatial element of the game and uh, and so you know it kind of it seemed like it had all the draw of magic and then a few extra things that weren't there and that's what made me want to play yeah one of the one of the big things for me and you kind of touched on this a little bit I think was the the idea of not having to worry about my draw or worry about getting a bad hand. I could I could actually pick those spells out of my book, and that's that's one thing that I hold it over magic. I mean, anytime I'm talking to somebody that's new to the game, and they're they play magic, that's that's always a big. I don't know if I call it a selling point or not, but um, uh, it's always something big that people uh, are drawn to. I think. Yeah, like uh, in magic, competitive magic sideboarding is incredibly important. Yep, and. It's always a little wonky. Like sometimes you draw your sideboard cards and it's amazing, and sometimes you don't, and it's a little frustrating. And so to have like this book where you're kind of aware of the full range of possibilities that you might face, and to know that like when you need this spell for this situation, like you're always going to have it, uh, I find really exciting because then it means that all the time that you spend planning, like thinking about all the situations that might come up in the game, 
uh, you're always going to get rewarded for that, mm-hmm. uh, and and like that's appealing to me, right? Like if I'm spending hours sitting around with my notebook trying to imagine you know, how to beat someone else, um, it, it's nice when all that time pays off. Yeah, I agree with Definitely. you 100%. Yeah, it's just a, it really is rewarding. And at the end of the day, it's it's awesome to have a game that that, that can give back. And I don't even know if it's if that's one of the things that was intentional or not. Um, but it's it's one of those things that's just nice to have for sure. Right. And then I'll also admit, you know, after seeing the game the first time, I I kind of went back to the hotel room with my wife and we we're talking about it. And I was just like, you know, kind of daydreaming about how cool the game would look if you, uh, you know, got miniatures and like, you know, like little like flaming walls and like little, because the the arena feel is kind of like touches on my like D and D and miniatures experiences. Uh-huh. And I just, you know, I imagine, you know, if you walk into a store and and actually saw a really beautiful version of, you know, Mage Wars. Um, not to say that the art on the cards isn't beautiful and the, you know, the cards aren't fun, but, you know, one that was a, a full-on miniature version, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine anyone in the store going to and looking at any other game, right? Yeah. It just it has a certain aesthetic appeal to it. Yeah. Well, I know one of the things Scott has said on this podcast a few times is that miniatures are definitely in the work. I don't know. Um, I'm sure Aaron can't give us any sort of timelines or anything, but it's... <laughs> Uh, it's going to be awesome when they come, and it's going to make, um, I think, add a whole new element just visually to the game. Um, it's going to be great. I can't wait. Yeah, well, I, I never know. heard about that. Oh. No, go ahead. Sorry. It's super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Um, I have – so this is kind of funny. I have a friend of mine. Um, he lives in northern Ohio now, uh, but – we first got him started in Mage Wars, and he is a huge minis gamer, um, to the point where, like, he bought Myth, and he refused to play it until he painted everything. Oh my um, so he's he's a very hardcore minis gamer, fantastic dude. Um, but anyway, he actually went through. Um, he went to Reaper. He went through old D and D minis. He went through Pathfinder minis. He found a mini for everything. He has a big box of all the minis for Mage Wars. He 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 has gotten himself minis for everything. Oh wow! Um, but that that was all independently. Um, and when he when he uses it, it's it's pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> but as far as us and minis go, um, right now there's a Kickstarter for a game called Yashima, um, which is actually coming out from Greenbrier Games. Um, and John and I, and then, uh, Brian, um, we all know the guys who designed that game and they had asked us to cross over. So there's a, there's an add on you can get if you get the game. Uh, that's, I think it's like 10 bucks. Don't quote me on the price. I could be wrong, but basically it's a mini for our wizard. And then he also Uh, has the cards. He's going to have the cards to play him in Yashima, but then you're also going to have an awesome mini of the wizard. And if you go check them out, it, their render looks amazing. Like that figure looks sweet. So, and this is something Scott and I uh, have been talking about a bunch uh, is just trying to figure out what we'd want to do for more and how we'd go about it. Um, But 
Yeah, there's not too much else to say at the moment, but that piece is already uh, already in the works, which is awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. I have a thousand questions on that, but I don't want to talk about it too much just <laughs> now because I know you can't answer everything I want to get answered. So, um, so Alex, back... I plead the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, back to you, Alex. Uh, what led you to choose the Straywood Beastmaster for Gen Con as opposed to just playing Wizard, like like a lot of people had chose? Sure. Uh, uh, so I, I have a few spellbooks that I kind of have played around with, and uh, I posted on the forums before I had to Gen Con. I was like, well, what should I play? And uh, I, I believe it was you who responded on the forums and say, play what you know well. And um, <laughs> That sounds exactly <laughs> like me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, fr- frankly, in you know, magic, that's a great strategy. Uh, people spend a lot of time trying to play the best spellbook, uh, but they lose a lot of value because they don't necessarily know how to play it, and so I wanted to kind of follow that advice and play a spellbook I knew really well. And uh, the other thing that I know about myself is that I tend to, you know, go to time in Magic tournaments, and I know that Mage Wars can be a longer game. So uh, because the points for wins, you get four points for winning before time is up and three points for having more life after the, the tiebreak. Uh, I really wanted to get the four-point wins instead of the three-point wins, so I wanted to play a deck that I knew was uh, aggressive and would likely close out games within the hour-and-a-half limit. Uh, so I started thinking about an idea in uh, Magic called uh, the Philosophy of Fire, and the idea in the Philosophy of Fire is that uh, if you put enough lightning bolts in your deck, which are you know spells that just deal direct damage to your opponent, uh, by the time you hit the third turn, you'll have drawn enough lightning bolts to kill your opponent. And uh, moreover, if your opponent has like gained any life, every 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 couple cards you you draw have an expected value of damage, so that you'll kill kill your opponent by a certain time. And I want to apply that idea to Mage Wars. Um, In Mage Wars, you get a certain amount of mana every turn, and every wizard starts with between 32 and 38 life. And there are quite a few spells that convert mana into damage at a rate of close to -to one-to-one, but not quite. Uh, So my reasoning was that if if I could turn around, uh, you know, 40 mana into around 35 damage uh, quickly, I could kill an opponent before they really got going. And so when I was exploring Mage Wars, I was really trying to choose strategies that allowed me to deal a lot of damage uh, very quickly. Uh, And the first couple of things I had tried were like, you know, just casting Fireball turn after turn after turn. uh, And that were uh, casting Wall of Thorns and force pushing people through it, um, which are both fairly good if your opponent's not prepared for it, but uh, as they start to cast armor spells on themselves, uh, you know, it it starts taking significantly more than four or five turns to kill them. Uh, And then, uh, you know, I started looking at the Beastmaster, because the Beastmaster has a really incredible power to summon a creature as a quick action instead of a slow action. And uh, when you... When you summon a creature, you get a recurring source of damage over time. And uh, I, doing the math, I figured out that a beast a beastmaster can often kill an opponent on turn uh, 
four or five, if they're not defending themselves, while still building up like an economic engine from a layer. And uh, and so and so I realized that like there is the opportunity to kind of take advantage of this concept of the philosophy of fire, you know, dealing as much damage as possible while still having a deck that uh, generated a good economy. And so uh, I guess to me, like the, the wizard wasn't ever really part of the conversation. Uh, I think that the wizard has some powerful strategies available to them, but that in terms of just converting your mana to damage on the opponent, uh, nothing beats the Beastmaster. Yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate, especially the Straywood Beastmaster. So, it, was there a reason why you picked Straywood versus uh, the Jataki? Oh, sure, Jatari. Uh, sorry. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so um, I actually don't think that the two Beastmasters are very similar. Uh, like, I think the Jatari Beastmaster, uh, you know, has a very good ability to move quickly and to cast. Uh, range attacks, uh, which I think she she was actually one of the Beastmasters that I used to just cast fireballs at an opponent because all of her fireballs nice. do an extra dice and she can <laughs> get close to the opponent uh, very easily. Uh, but the the Straywood Beastmaster, like I said, the the ability to summon a level one creature as a quick action um, offers you the opportunity to you know summon two creatures a turn, or if you uh, have a lair to you know, summon two creatures a turn while moving around. And, um, like, if you think about summoning a mana, like, if you think about most of the wizards, uh, most of them either have the ability to deal three melee damage and uh, channel ten mana, or deal four melee damage and channel nine mana. Uh, and so I guess kind of my assumption is that... Uh, that one mana usually equals one damage uh, in the you know game design uh, back at Arcane Wonders, and and so if you compare, say, uh, summoning a mana crystal to summoning a Thunder Rift Falcon, uh, for five mana with a mana crystal you get something that produces one mana a turn, whereas if you summon a Thunder Rift Falcon, uh, you get three damage a turn, and uh, you know, when you when you make that comparison, it starts becoming pretty clear that uh, if you can keep your creatures alive, uh, that they're producing resources at a much faster rate than something like a mana crystal. And usually, like the other limitation is usually that it takes a slow action to summon, and so it's really just this amazing ability to summon as a quick action. Uh, mm -hmm. You start getting this advantage of small creatures that. Um, just none of the other mages have access to. That's a great point. Uh, what what mages were you looking to, uh, or rather, what mages does the Straywood Aviary not stack up well against? Right. Um, so the mage that I think the Straywood Aviary stacks up the least well against is probably actually a, like a Force Master like my brother was playing. Uh-huh. Um, so... The, Stray, the Straywood Beastmaster is killing an opponent pretty quickly, uh, but the fact that they're pausing to build the lair uh, means that they're spending mana to get kind of a future advantage instead of spending the mana right now for an immediate advantage. And so any mage that is playing uh, a shorter game uh, where they're going to 
uh, kill you before you recover the mana from your lair, where they're not going to bother even with playing creatures. They're just going to, you know, play some equipment, uh, attack you directly, cast a bunch of, like, fireballs or hurl boulders. Because, uh, you know, most of the time as I was playing the aviary, uh, I was playing very aggressively and not really defending myself very much. And it's possible to play more defensively, but fundamentally, like, if you're putting mana into the lair, uh, you, you just can't overly defend yourself against someone who's really trying to attack you. Uh, so that kind of Force Master, I think, is pretty scary. Um, and uh, kind of after the tournament, Andrew and I have spent a lot of time discussing what kinds of cards are strong against the cards that we played in the, the Aviary. And uh, the card that I think is the most terrifying is the uh, Necropian Vampiris. Um, she, she just happens to hit for exactly enough to kill a falcon, and uh, she's incredibly hard to kill and uh, incredibly hard to harry because uh, she's either flying or not flying, whichever her owner wants her to be, which means that you need both a flying and not flying creature in a square with her to stop her. Uh, so she's kind of a bird-killing machine. Um, the, I, I guess those are the things that I think are the most scary for the Beastmaster. Yeah, that's interesting. Almost if you get outrushed, huh? If you can... If you can... Um, if they can interrupt your build-up to getting that, that aviary in the air, I guess, um, that could yeah. be a problem, right? Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. Well, when the when the force master, um, when the force master is wanting to to go for the throat as much as you're wanting to go for the throat, and the force master has a built-in chance to avoid damage, it's not guaranteed, but at the end of the day, they have a built-in defensive ability, um, and basically, if they get it to work twice, uh, then it's it's already. Like, if they get it to work once, then it's matched your extra hit points. Because you have 36 and they have 32. Um, yeah. But if they get it to work twice, then they're basically... It's like they had more hit points than you. And that's always dangerous, especially when you're you're banking on the fact that I need to do 35 damage. Or basically, thirty, you know, 35, 38 damage. Um, if you're banking on that every time, every time you don't get that... It it's uh, it really starts throwing things in her favor, especially since you know she can consistently you know come at you with just herself and still be dangerous. Um, and the minute she gets you to tip the scale and to go to putting on armor, then she she knows that you're on the defensive, and so she just has to be able to match what your next play is. Oh, he put on armor, so now I'm going to throw an acid ball. And then I'm going to double strike. Or, oh, he, um, you know, did X. Well, I've got the solution for it. Once you get them on the, once you get them playing defensive, um, it takes a very good opponent to be able to get back on offense um, simply because the pressure is there. That's part of why um, I'm a big fan of aggressive, uh, aggressive spell books um, because in an uncertain environment when you're not sure what you're going to be playing against, um, the last thing you want to do is let your opponent do what he wants. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's uh, kind of exactly how 
my game in the tournament in the uh, quarterfinals played out against Andrew. You know, he was playing the Force Master. Uh, I had to kind of uh, outsmart him once with a, a wall, uh, which bought me a turn. And then it still came down to, on one turn, I was casting a Pearl Boulder with initiative, and Andrew... Uh, you know, also had a hurl boulder, and right, I had to have his defense dive fail. Uh, so right, like I, I not only needed to make a very good play, but I also needed to get lucky, just because, you know, like you said, uh, the defense is very powerful uh, when the game is not very long. Yeah, no, especially the shorter the game gets, each successful defense means so much more. And yes, you could get totally unlucky, but then again, you could also get totally unlucky with your attack rolls with your creatures. Um, but at the same time, uh, averages playing out like they do, um, you're, I mean, the damage you're going to be fairly, fairly solid on. You're going to expect, you know, two, three points of damage out of a Falcon every round, and you can pretty much count on that. Well, and then... That's... That's actually yeah. part of the strategy of the spellbook is that um, va variance is mitigated by playing so many little things. Mm -hmm. Like uh, like people who summon one big creature, uh, if something gets a really lucky hit against it, it can you know die really unexpectedly. But by playing something like a, a falcon, if someone gets a really successful hit on it, you know the the overkill doesn't really matter very much because you know it's a dead falcon either way. Uh, Likewise, when you're throwing a lot of dice, your chance of getting significantly above or significantly below average is much smaller than if you're only rolling a few dice. So uh, you tend to get a much more consistent result than a lot of other spellbooks might wind up with. Mm -hmm. hmm. I know when I was playing uh, Force Master, I was very big on uh, Force Master plus jellies. Uh, and when you get one of those out there, if everything goes average the jelly is an unholy terror who never dies and kills everything, and it's pretty crazy. Uh, but the number of games I had where someone would go, oh, heck no, that is not staying out, and then, you know, throw throw a hurl boulder at it and go, awesome, I got three twos. You know, so there's six damage on it, and now I hit it again and it's dead. Um, right. So, no, I'm I'm completely with you on that. So Alex, we're curious. We've we've talked a lot about it here on the podcast. I know guys on the forums have talked about it all the time, but um, in regards to the meta game, Straywood Every Area I think made a big impact overall for the people who uh, follow Mage Wars competitively and are part of the uh, the Mage Wars community online. Do you, do you think what you did with the Straywood Area will shift the meta? Will get people thinking, or um, and do you think that your book is going to remain as strong as it was as Gen Con moving forward in the additional uh, tournaments? Right. So I think that the, the spell book is very fundamentally strong. Uh, I guess whenever I was building competitive, you know, magic spell books back in the day, we would talk about uh, the pillars of the format, and what we meant when we said that is the kind of very extreme strategies that forced you to respond to what they were doing. And I think that Mage Wars is still kind of in a phase where uh, we're discovering what the pillars of the format are. Uh, so g going into the Gen Con tournament, uh, 
I felt like there was only one deck, which is a known pillar of the format, and I felt uh, that's a Charmina's Blasting Banker deck. Uh, the strategy of the deck is to put as much armor as possible on a wizard uh, with as many uh, kind of heal like healing effects as possible, uh, which generally causes all of the attacks of your opponent to be irrelevant, and then to put curses on your opponent uh, so that they accrue damage over time, and uh, build up a, a bunch of mana and use uh, Wizard's Tower and Mage Wand with fireballs to just, uh, you know, put the opponent out of their misery uh, once you had a big enough mana advantage built up. And uh, so I think that that was one of the pillars, and I think remains one of the pillars in Mage Wars, and I think really forces people to play cards like Acid Ball and Dissolve. Um, and I think that the Straywood Aviary is another pillar, uh, I think that a deck that is very quick and is trying to uh, kind of take advantage of exponential economics, right? It's uh, first I'm going to play this layer, and the layer is going to make a lot of mana, and then every turn my layer and my mage are going to make a falcon, and those are generating a lot of damage. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a pillar of formats for a long time. Um, and I think that there are probably a couple other pillars that are as yet undiscovered or not thoroughly explored. I suspect uh, the Force Master might be one of them. Um, and so I think that unless you know new cards kind of change what the pillars of the format are, I think that everybody building competitive Mage Wars decks uh, needs to come to a tournament with a plan to handle each of the pillars. And so I think that... Uh, I kind of had a, a nice advantage coming to the tournament, which was that people were unaware of this being a pillar. Um, I think that a lot of the counterplay, people weren't uh, experienced with it, and sometimes they didn't even have the right spells. Uh, going forward, I think that it will always be a good spell book, um, but as people have tools in their books to handle this particular pillar, uh, how good it will be will probably depend on how well it's done recently, and kind of uh, with time passing from the last time it did well, people will kind of forget how to play against it and play fewer tools as they concentrate on beating other pillars. And so the metagames tend to always be uh, dynamic with uh, something near a pillar often doing well as other pillars have done well recently. Sure, I think that makes a lot of sense, man. Um, well, that's about going to do it for our time here. So, Alex, thank you so much for joining us, buddy. We're sorry it took so long to get you on. I know we've been, uh, Aaron has had this in the works for a while now. We're just now able to do it. So, um, I really appreciate your time. And I, I believe, um, speaking for Aaron and Scott, they, they do as well. Uh, you know, Aaron may not so much. Who, kn who knows with that guy? He's a wild card. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it, it's, it's been a pleasure to be on here. I've enjoyed your guys' work, and uh, I'm excited to see Mage Wars keep on being played. I agree a thousand awesome. percent. Aaron, do you have anything you'd like to say to the audience before we go ahead and sign off, buddy? Anything I'd like to say to the audience? Um, I'm just going to steal ta uh, I'm gonna steal uh, Scott's sign-off, so play more Mage Wars. That's perfect. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, tell your friends about it. 
play more Mage Wars. Definitely try to get as many people into uh, what I call the best game on tabletop right now, and I have been for uh, uh, almost two years now. So it's definitely had staying power in my house. I hope it does yours as well. Um, keep rolling crits, and uh, good luck in the arena. Thank you.